0: Our first lesson is Psalm 46, verses six through 11. The nations are in an uproar, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Our second lesson is taken from the Gospel of Mark. We are in the 13th chapter. Um, This is one of the sections uh, sweetly referred to as the Little Apocalypse. Mark 13, 1 through 13. Listen now for the word of the Lord. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed, this must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. As for yourselves, beware, for for they will hand you over to councils, they will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them. And the good news must first be proclaimed to all nations. When they bring you on trial and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you were to say, but say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brothers will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a priest and a rabbi, already good, right? priest and a rabbi both have signs. They're both standing on a road, one across from the other. The rabbi has a sign that says, the end is near. And the priest has a sign that says, repent while you still can. So the first car comes by, sees them, and makes a gesture not even worthy of mention here in our holy service. The second car comes by, honks at him and says, you religious freaks, leave us alone, and goes on. The third car comes by and keeps going, doesn't even look at him. Then they hear one splash, then two splashes, then three splashes, and they look at each other and say, what do you think is wrong? They're they're not, they're not paying attention to our messages. And the priest says, well, maybe it's our signage. Maybe we should have written a sign that says, bridge out. We'll come back to that one. It was there for a purpose. So as we come into this season of thanks today, we're in the book of Mark. As I mentioned before, this is a chapter, Mark 13, that talks to us about the end of times. That would be the second coming. In our theology, tradition, and understanding, Jesus came the first time for which we have the gospels that were written about him. Then when he ascended, uh, the Holy Spirit descended and stays with us. And at the second coming, Christ will come again to redeem the world, all of us, and complete that kingdom that was started when Christ came in the first place this time in between when Christ came and Christ will come, even though the presence of the Holy Spirit is with us, we are the stewards of what we have been given. So we are very much like those parables of the slaves who are in charge of the house and the master leaves and they don't know when the master will come home. So our tasks are to be vigilant, to be awake, to be prepared and ready for when that will be. So when will the world end? Who's got that date? Anybody? No. <laughs> Nobody. Regardless of what they say, if they give you the time and the date, run the opposite direction. Later on in this chapter in verse 32, Jesus says, the angels in heaven do not know the son that's Jesus does not know. Only the Father in heaven knows about that hour, about that time. So, and we've seen over time the disasters that happen when people think they know that from their formula of taking 1st and 2nd Corinthians and multiplying by the first six minor prophets and then you take the third letter of each of the 12 disciples' names, use the square root of Revelation and you come down at November 18th 2018 at 11.23 a.m. It borders on silliness and absurdity and yet people have used these manipulations to do just that. People have lost their lives banking on the end time and again and again and again they are proven incorrect. Uh, there, There are too many to list. But you, you remember in 2012, December 21st, our Mayan friends, uh, now extinct, uh, had determined that the end time would be December 21st. I remember right before Christmas, everyone waiting for the world to end, and yet it did not. We remember the year 2000, the whole Y2K scare with the computers. What was going to happen when they go from 1999 to 2000? Can they handle it? Is the world going to explode? Several cultish groups gathered. Death resulted from the complete inaccuracy and those being manipulated by others. We can go back and back and back, Jim Jones, so many others who were seen as these Messiah figures. So Jesus says, you don't know and I don't know. So the next time somebody says, oh, it's going to be here, you can simply smile and say to them, "So you're smarter than Jesus Christ. Bless your soul. That's what we say in the South, right? We only want to be mean, but we don't want to say. Bless your heart, bless your heart." So Jesus is telling them, walking out of the temple, looks around and they see this huge structure. Now this is the second temple that Herod the Great had built, and it was massive and it was beautiful, it was ornate. You have still a little bit of remnant from the Wailing Wall that still exists, and you see the huge stones as a part of that, and multiply that in your mind by a thousand. And they come out of the temple, and Jesus says, you, you see these? One day, going to be toppled, going to be gone. And that was troubling for the disciples in two ways. First, it was a massive and impressive and imposing structure. What in the world could take this down? What disaster could take this down? They didn't think anything. Secondly, it's where God resided. And so it's not just that the walls would tumble. It's that that's where God is. Ridiculous to think anything could happen to that sacred space that, God, that contained God. So when Jesus says this, it, it's perplexing. To the disciples. And so the first four called, you remember James and John and Peter and Andrew. They pull them aside after that and say, when, Jesus, what what are you talking about? When is this going to happen? How will we know? Will there be signs? What are we supposed to look for? And Jesus very clearly says something that we often overlook in our second coming conversations as we get swept up into the Symbolism and sometimes confusing imagery of revelation and other scripture. He says, I'm gonna tell you something, disciples. He said, number one, there are gonna be false messiahs who will claim to be me or speak in my name and they will lead you astray. Second, there are gonna be kingdoms that totter, kingdoms are in an uproar, kingdoms will come and go. There will be wars and rumors of wars. That is in the political unrest category. He said, that's going to happen. He said, and there will be natural disasters, earthquakes, famine, those are going to happen. Uh, paraphrasing, he is saying to them, don't check these things off as a list of what to precede the second coming because that is not determinative. Because these things happen, you cannot assume that the end is near because we have difficult things in the world. You cannot assume that because you will be persecuted for me that the end is near. We have, I think, sometimes a a predilection to think that things are as bad now as they ever have been. And it seems that way to a certain degree. Our politics every election season seems to be more divisive, more harsh. We're still dealing with the election from several weeks ago. All the natural disasters that keep happening, each Fire seems to be worse than the prior, the worst ever. Each hurricane seems to be more and more awful and terrible. The flooding, all of those things, because it's in our time and our context, can very easily seem to be the worst that it's ever have been. Of course, it's not, but it feels like it is because this is the time in which we are living. And Jesus says, you can't look at those things and think, gosh, things are getting really bad. I wonder if, if we're close. Some part of us says, "Oh, Lord, just come, take us now." <laughs> but that's not our calling. Jesus says, "These things are going to happen. Your calling is to be faithful and proclaim the gospel. No matter what's going on around you, don't shy away from that. Go help, be involved. Take my light, compassion, love to others, especially those that are hurt or wounded or have no voice, who are oppressed. Be with them, but don't allow yourself to be overcome. Very easily, we live in fear and are manipulated by fear. So often in our Christian tradition, wittingly and unwittingly, Many faith leaders use and wield faith as a weapon to manipulate those whom they serve. Faith, our Christian belief, is not hell insurance. We don't follow and worship God because we're afraid God's going to smack us down if we don't. We follow Christ because God raised him from the dead, and every Sunday is a mini Easter And we seek to be raised by Christ as well. We live lives of gratitude for what has been done through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But so many preach and wield hatred. The powers of evil and darkness in this world wield fear. Whether that be political structures, whether that be some media It's very easy to divide us when we allow ourselves to be manipulated by fear. It's the way to stir the base. It's the way to set one against another for financial gain and gain in other areas. And Christ is saying to them, do not give in to this mess. Well, what about false messiahs? That was his first category. I think we would all know If somebody stood up and said, I am the new Messiah, and maybe we could stay away from that, I think we'd all be pretty smart to do that. But I think our challenge is the Messiahs that we don't necessarily recognize have taken us over. For example, those things that we give our time, talent, and money to that are not God or Christ can become false Messiahs. If we are spending our lives in acquisition of money and wealth to the exclusion of the relationships we've been blessed with to the point of destruction of our own lives and others, then money has become our Messiah. Power. We all are given power to some degree, old and young alike. How we wield that says a lot about who we are and what we believe. Power can become our Messiah. I hesitate to say it, but I will. Even college football <laughs> is wonderful. And I'm in it and love it and support it. But any distraction that we, again, we put ourselves completely into to the exclusion and to the destructive ends of of our relationships and those around us who love us can become a false messiah. Anything can be our messiah, false messiah. So as we seek those things and you check your lives, I will check mine. It's not that rogue character that stands up and says, I am the messiah, follow me. It's all those harder ones that we love and enjoy to a certain degree And yes, do the things that you do and love and get away and be refreshed, but those should be things that are rooted in Christ as well. So false messiahs are out there. It may be one of our biggest challenges to dispel the idols that we worship and follow. So you have those false idols, you have political unrest, and you have natural disasters. Ha, things back then, so different. And the central point of this is that Jesus is saying, keep your heads down, do what I'm telling you to do. I will be with you. The Holy Spirit will be there to guide you, to help you speak when you are persecuted. In the day Jesus was telling him, they would be brought in front of a court. In that day, you did not have defense attorneys who would speak on your behalf. You would speak on your own behalf. And they were largely uneducated, those disciples. And so for them to face a judge who would have been um, harsh against these new Christians, it was terrifying for them to have to stand up and defend themselves. What would they say? What words would they say? Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will be with you. Do not worry. So we need not be overwhelmed with the politics and the religion of fear, though many wield it and use it against humankind. There was a a Peanuts cartoon where Linus and Lucy were together watching it rain outside. And Lucy says, gosh, it looks like it's gonna rain. I hope we don't get killed in a flood. I hope God isn't wiping us out in a flood. Linus, the theologian of the group says, no, in Genesis nine, God promised never again to wipe out the world with a flood and the rainbow is promise of that. And Lucy says, oh, thank you, Linus, you've taken so much off my mind. And he says, sound theology has a tendency to do just that. So today we are being called to realize that all that swirls around us, all that happens to us is not going to go away. All of these disasters that we see will continue to happen. It does not mean that the world is about to end. It could be today, but it could be for another 20,000 years. We do not know. It is not up to us to try to track that or figure that out. That is God's business. Our job is to be those who are called to stand in the midst of those tragedies with Christ in our hearts, the peace of Christ with us. To continue to be the people that we've been called to be despite what goes on around us. The word is dogged, two words, dogged hopedomism. Yes, I made that up. Hopedomism. it's not a word it is today. Hope comes from hope and optimism. Optimism isn't necessarily faith-related. You put hope and optimism together because hope is the Christ part, and you put that together and you have optimism. We have to keep our hope. When hope is gone, all is lost. At times, we all are beaten down through tragedy or awful occasions or situations or you can even look out in the world and sometimes you may lose your hope but as a people as a family as friendship groups we cannot lose our hope rooted in Christ I will quickly share this when I this is a disclaimer When I use sermon illustrations, I use some that may lean political left and some that may lean political right. If I use it, it doesn't mean I endorse that particular position. Very next week, I may use one from the other side. I intentionally use things from all sides. So when I say this illustration, it's not about the name, it's about the conversation. So let's just all breathe together. So in that vein of hope, There was a conversation on the Rush Limbaugh show. And he was, this was back at the time when Tom Brokaw had put out his book about the greatest generation. Those who had made it through and survived the depression and those who had stood up to fight in World War II. And uh, Rush was echoing what Tom Brokaw was saying about how they had stood up and claimed as heroes and uh, fought and made it through uh, those ridiculously trying circumstances. But he then went on to say the 20s, those in their 20s now are really a bunch of whiners. His words, not mine. Because they've not really been through anything. They don't know what it's like to step up. They don't know what it's like to have survived and made it through these, these trying circumstances. Well, fine. So moves on. A few minutes later, a young man calls in, 23-year-old young man, And he says, Rush, I I couldn't agree with you more. That greatest generation is that. They are amazing. They stood up and they fought and they made it through the Great Depression. And my admiration is with them. And then he said, but I think our generation, my generation in the 20s has it worse. There's a pause, silence. And Rush says, and... And why would your generation have it worse? And the young man says, because I'm afraid that we have lost hope. He says, so many in my generation don't believe that there's a brighter future. So many don't believe in the hope of a new tomorrow, that they can do better than their parents or grandparents, or that even in their families that are in such disarray can be one of cohesion and love, and they have lost hope there too. And the young man went on to say, as difficult and trying, and it was, the Great Depression, a lot of those families had to bond together. A lot of those friends had to bond together. At least there was some uniting community factors that helped people get through the Great Depression. And for those who agreed to serve in World War II, they saw something bigger than themselves worth dying for. And he said, I'm afraid my generation doesn't have anything or see anything larger than itself worth dying for. And even worse, they don't see anything larger than themselves worth living for. When we lose hope, all is lost. Dogged hopetimism, not just hopetimism, but dogged. We cannot lose the hope rooted in Christ, and that's what Jesus is telling these disciples. He said, do not lose hope and do not fear. In the midst of this, don't allow yourself to be manipulated by the false messiahs. Bad stuff is going to come. Tragedies will occur, and even to you personally. But know that I am with you. The Holy Spirit is with you and you keep proclaiming me and my message and that is what you need to do. Psalm 46, Charlotte read to you, one of my favorites. The whole first part of the Psalm is all about all these awful things that are happening, some in these same categories, mountains that tremble in the heart of the sea, kingdoms that are in an uproar and kingdoms tottering. And it goes through all of that And then the very last verse, second to last verse, it says, be still and know that I am God. God doesn't say none of this bad stuff is going to happen. He doesn't say the mountains aren't going to tremble in the heart of the sea or kingdoms won't totter. He says when they do, come back, be still and know that I am God. If you remember 1959 movie, Ben-Hur, 1959. You remember the awesome at that time, especially for the cinema of that day, the chariot scene. Charlton Heston really had to learn how to drive the chariot. So after several weeks of learning, he went to the director and he said, "I, I think I can drive the chariot. I don't think I could win a chariot race. And the director says, you just drive the chariot, I will make sure you win. Here Christ is saying the same thing to the disciples and today to us. When you are afraid, you are in fear, when the world is spinning out of control, we just keep proclaiming that Christ has been raised We just keep at it and God will make sure that we win. Meaning, staying connected to Christ with one another. Not take us out of horrible, difficult situations but be with us in that zone like the eye of that hurricane swirling around us. So in the midst of the mountains trembling in the heart of the sea of false messiahs of political discord and kingdoms tottering, of natural disasters that will only seem to get worse and affect us all. Let us all have the courage to be still and know that God is God. Hallelujah. Amen.